There he is. This is from a video Ben Renfro took this spring. He was out with his friend, Dwayne Arnold, fishing in the Gulf of Mexico, near their homes in Pensacola, Florida. Ben said it was a normal day fishing, at first. When we are out here fishing, we turn the motors off and pull up to a um, patch of seaweed, looking for mahi or looking for any other game fish that hang out in that area. So Dwayne was peering into the distance for any kind of fish action when he saw something unusual. Maybe 200 yards away, I saw water fly up in there, and I thought, well, a big fish just landed there, and the water flew up. But then Dwayne saw something surface, something bigger than a fish. I didn't know what the creature was at first. But they kept watching. And then I see the whale roll, and I noticed a small dorsal fin. Now, I wasn't aware of any whales in the Gulf. I had no idea there were whales out here. They are a pretty rare sight in the Gulf of Mexico. But it turns out there are many species of whales that either live in the Gulf or migrate through its waters. But it wasn't just any whale Ben and Duane saw that day fishing. It was a whale that scientists only just discovered, and already one of the world's most endangered. It was a rice's whale. We kept watching it, but the whale kept moving. And then, of course, I suggested that we start up the boat and move over closer because we might catch some fish off of it. But just as quick as the whale came, that loud motor scared it off. Almost immediately, the elusive rice's whale was gone. So, big mistake. I'm Carlisle Calhoun, and you're listening to Sea Change. That's the sound of a rice's whale call. There are only around 51 rice's whales left in the world, and they're the only whale that stays in one country's territory. They live exclusively in the Gulf of Mexico, in U.S. waters, a uniquely American whale. This also means the responsibility to protect these whales lies with the United States. But are we protecting them? That's a question NPR investigations reporter Kiara Eisner had. She traveled to Pensacola, where she met up with the two fishermen you heard earlier. She had received a tip about the future of these threatened whales, and she wanted to get to the bottom of it. Kira wanted to know, with so few rice's whales left on the planet, what, if anything, is being done to prevent their extinction? Today on Sea Change, we hear the story of this shy baleen whale who was only discovered as a new species a couple years ago and is already swimming in controversy. Here's Kiara to tell the story. Tucked away in a Maryland community, minutes from the border with Washington, D.C., is the largest collection of marine mammal bones in the world. Come on in, please. Around 10,000 specimens are stored in the Smithsonian's two climate-controlled warehouses. All of these are different species of whales. We have a bunch of gray whales down here and humpback whales on the other side. We have things going all the way back to the 1820s, 1830s. That's Michael McGowan. He's a scientist and a curator at the Smithsonian. We walked past racks of ribs, the dried skin of a river dolphin, and a drawer full of narwhal tusks. But the animal I'm there for can't fit in a drawer. So this is it right here. Yeah, it's still oily to the touch. On either side of the skulls are 
two sides of its lower jaw. We're looking at the rusty brown skull of a rice's whale. It's about twice as tall as I am. Those two bones are called the nasals. And how the nasals fit into each other is very distinctive in different whale species. This is the skull that scientists use to determine that rice's whales were a brand new species in 2021, after the whale it belonged to washed up in the Everglades. But by the time that discovery was made, there were fewer than 100 left. One in five had died after the Deepwater Horizon spill poured millions of gallons of oil into their habitat. I knew it was a long shot, but I went to the Gulf to see if I could see any of them alive. All right, here we go, everybody. Amateur fisherman Ben Renfro took me out on his boat in October to the same spot off the coast of Pensacola where he had seen a rice's whale a few months before. So here's where we are. I dropped a microphone into the ocean to see if I could hear them. There's nothing around. There's no other boats. So let's see what we pick up. We couldn't hear much. The whales weren't nearby. But researchers have recorded their calls. And they sound like nothing else on the planet. The whales can moan like that for a minute without stopping. But the whales are not alone. That's the sound of an air gun. Energy companies send explosions of compressed air into the ocean to help them find oil and gas. The guns go off every 10 seconds for weeks at a time. Because sound travels faster in the ocean than in air, that booming can be heard halfway across the Gulf. And then there's the propeller noise from ships. All that noise can make it difficult for the whales to hear each other. For whales underwater, it's really sound that is critical. That's Anna Shirovich, a scientist who studies whale calls in the Gulf. She says being able to communicate is essential for finding prey and mates. But in some cases, when boats were nearby, Rice's whales went completely silent. The stakes are high. To avoid extinction, the species can only afford to lose one whale every 15 years to human activity. Once you're dealing with such a small population, anything that hinders its ability to reproduce and do well should be a concern. Quieter air gun technologies are on the market, but there are no limits to underwater noise like there are above water. And oil companies aren't using the new tech much. I looked through the plans for seismic surveys in the Gulf over the next three years. Right now, none of the companies plan to use the new air guns, though two will use fewer of the old ones. Alex Lorero is a scientific director for an oil and gas industry trade group called Energeo. She says energy companies aren't ready for the alternatives. It's going to take time for the industry to actually be able to use these technologies effectively. There are laws to protect wildlife from risks besides noise. But the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, was years late on meeting mandatory deadlines related to listing the whales as endangered. And they still haven't designated which part of the whale's habitat should be protected. And that is really shameful, given the species that are being managed are on the verge of extinction. I mean, they are ecologically at death's door. Michael Jasney is a senior policy analyst for Natural Resources Defense Council. NRDC and other groups have tried for years to get NOAA to enforce a speed limit of 10 knots in a portion of the whale's critical habitat. That's to avoid the boats hitting whales. At least two rice's whales have been struck by ships since 2009, 
One was injured, the other was killed. And a speed limit has been in place along the East Coast for more than a decade to protect North Atlantic right whales. And it's been shown to work. There is no reason why that cannot be done in the Gulf of Mexico. Last month, NOAA denied the nonprofit's petition. NOAA said it wants to meet other deadlines first and would try to get vessels to slow down voluntarily. But NPR analyzed shipping data from 2022. We found that more than three-quarters of the journeys made by large vessels through the whale's habitat had an average speed above 10 knots. With no rule in place, the whales were still at a high risk. There's a lot that NOAA is doing, and there's also a lot more that needs to be done. That was Laura Engelby. She's the chief of NOAA's Marine Mammal Branch in the Southeast. She acknowledged that NOAA was limited in its staff and resources, but said they're trying to raise awareness in other ways, like putting part of the whale we saw in the warehouse on display at the Smithsonian's National Museum of Natural History. It's a symposium to really bring together how important these sort of unknown whales are. I mean, it's a really big deal to think that that whale that's stranded in the Everglades is going to be the feature of this Ocean Hall exhibit. Back in the bone collection, Michael McGowan explains which parts of the whale will be at the museum. We'll have its baleen on display. There's a piece of plastic, actually, that was found in its gut that will be on display in some sort of life-size representation. That's open to the public now. But if measures to protect rice's whales aren't enacted soon, conservationists believe the only place to see the whales will be inside a museum. Kiara Eisner, NPR News. After the break, Kiara joins us to tell us more about her investigation. Hey, Kiara. Thanks for joining us to tell us more about this story. So first of all, what was it that led you to take on this investigation? I started to be interested in this story when somebody told me about the whales. And I, I'm i from Houston, Texas. I grew up in Houston. My dad's a geologist and a geophysicist, and I had never heard about these whales. So when I found out that there were only 51 of this species that only lived in the Gulf of Mexico, I was shocked. I was honestly floored. I had heard about the vaquita, a marine mammal that is severely endangered. There are fewer than 10 of them thought to be left in Mexican waters. And I've followed that closely because it's just such a sad story about how these small, super adorable animals have been caught in fishing nets and the government has, you know, made some efforts, but obviously not enough if they're at fewer than 10 and how the species basically has no hope of surviving extinction. And to hear that the United States was in the same situation with a species to me meant that there was more there that I wanted to look into. Yeah. And you actually got to see and touch the rice's whale that was actually the same one scientist used to determine that rice's whales are its own unique species. Can you tell us more about the discovery and what is it that makes rice's whales unique? So seeing that one in person was incredible. It was found in the Everglades. It had washed up in the Everglades uh, a couple of years ago. And this was incredibly rare because these animals live so far offshore. When they die, a lot of them don't arrive on beaches. They sink down to the ocean. And so we never really know what happened to them, how they died. Essentially, only one of these whales can die or be seriously injured owing to human activity every 15 years, or else the species has 
no hope of surviving extinction. So even just one whale like this one dying is a tragedy for the species. But in this case, the whale was quite useful for scientists. Scientists used this skull to do genetic analysis and um, determined that it was genetically distinct enough to be considered its own species, which wasn't known until 2021. It was before thought to be a kind of Brutus whale, which is a type of whale that exists all across the globe, everywhere from South Africa to Japan. So finding out that this was its own species that lived in the Gulf of Mexico meant that the situation for these whales was critical because instead of this being a population of whales that might be dying down in just one area, this meant that these 51 whales were the last members of this entire species and they were in our backyard in the Gulf of Mexico. So just as we discover this new species, we find out that there's so few of them left. So can you tell us about what are the biggest threats these whales are facing? So NOAA has identified 27 different threats that the whales are facing. Some of them are the kinds of threats that a lot of animals face today, like climate change, like habitat destruction. A lot of the other threats are man-made, though. So those include oil and gas exploration, oil spills, intense noise pollution, and ship strikes. And the ship strikes and the oil and gas pollution and exploration, those are activities that are really characteristic of the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico is a very busy shipping location. There are ships passing constantly, bringing cargo to and from different Gulf ports. And that noise is felt strongly underwater, far stronger than it's felt above water, because noise travels faster underwater than it does above. And that noise, you know, is obviously noisy. It's it, it creates sound, but it also creates waves of pressure. It's a physical sensation that's felt by animals. And it's been shown to kill zooplankton. It's been shown to change the habits of fish. It's been shown to damage the internal organs of certain animals like lobster. And it's been shown to really bother these whales in significant ways. And even though there's so few rice's whales left, you found that action to protect these whales has been very slow. We found that NOAA has repeatedly been late in critical congressionally mandated deadlines related to listing this species as endangered. NOAA did eventually list the species as endangered, but they were required to also designate the whales as critical habitat no more than typically one year after that designation of the species as endangered. And that hasn't happened yet. So they're years late on that. NOAA says it's something that they're working on and they might have finished by next year. But that designation is important. It, it means that the government has more right to protect not just the animal, but also the animal's area, the space that they need to survive. Right, which would also give the government more latitude to impose restrictions on potentially harmful activities like oil and gas drilling in this critical habitat. 
Part of your investigation also gathered data about shipping traffic and boat speeds in the Gulf. What did you find? We started looking at shipping data because at the time, environmental groups had proposed a speed limit petition to NOAA. So they felt like something needed to be done immediately with the risk being so high to these whales. Without that area being designated as their critical habitat, they wanted some sort of limitation in place to protect the whales. Slowdown zones are common in other areas of the world and in the United States. So the groups proposed that a slowdown be enacted in the Gulf of Mexico, not across the entire proposed critical habitat, but just a section of it right below that Florida panhandle where the whales are known to spend a lot of time. This summer, NOAA started officially considering it and accepting public comments. Um, When that happened, there was a large public pushback from industries that profit from the Gulf. So from the oil and gas industry, from different ports and marine industries, there were bills that were proposed in Congress and in the Senate to stop the slowdown from being enacted. And in October, NOAA actually went ahead and denied that slowdown proposal. They said they wanted to focus on other conservation priorities and that they would try to get the vessel operators to slow down voluntarily. But what we found was we analyzed shipping data from 2022, the whole year. And we looked at only boats that were larger than 65 feet, because those were the ones who were going to be most likely impacted by this slowdown. Of those transits, of all of the journeys that happened in 2022 with ships that were larger than 65 feet, 80% of these journeys were speeding at a rate that has been shown to be a danger to these whales. So what are the forces fighting against protecting these very endangered whales? Yeah, so there's a lot of money being made in the Gulf. Um, Last year, just four of the oil and gas companies that work in the Gulf made more profit, more than $100 billion of profit, more than they've made any other year in their history. And most of the oil and gas that is developed offshore is developed from the Gulf. It's 97%. And another thing that we found in this investigation was I looked through all of the proposals that these oil and gas companies have made for future seismic surveys from 2023 to 2026. Only two of them indicated that they were going to use a technology that was less harmful to the whales. The rest of them plan on using the conventional air guns that have been shown to be problematic for this for species like this one. There was also some controversy over an oil and gas lease sale, which is administered by another government agency, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, or BOEM. The Biden administration had tried to remove 6 million acres of critical rice as whales habitat from the lease sale. But what happened there? Yeah, so there was this lease sale that was set to happen this year, and the area included much of the critical habitat proposed for these whales. And BOEM, they tried to add certain stipulations. They tried to mandate that there would be no oil and gas development in the whales' critical habitat zone 
and they requested that there be a mandatory slowdown for oil and gas vessels when they entered that zone. But that was turned down by the courts and a federal appellate court dismissed that challenge brought by environmental groups and BOEM. So the lease sale will go forward without the added protections for the whales. So that's coming soon. So a lot hasn't been done. But what has NOAA done to protect these whales? So NOAA has conducted a lot of the important science that has been critical to getting some of these whales in the public eye. So some of the scientists that were involved with designating the species as a unique species were NOAA scientists. NOAA was involved with carting that whale all the way up from the Everglades to the Smithsonian. They try to do public advocacy. There's constant science being done. They're surveying the Gulf of Mexico to count the whales, make sure they know what's going on. They're involved with all of that. So this is a high-stakes situation with so few of the rice's whales left. What do scientists and experts say needs to be done to make sure rice's whales don't go extinct? From the scientists that I spoke with, they believe that anything that is a threat to these whales should be a concern. When you only have 51 members of a species left and you can only afford to lose one, every 15 years. And we know that since 2009, two of the rice's whales have been harmed by ship strikes. One has died after being struck by a ship and another one was severely injured. So that means we're already over that limit of one every 15 years, which is bad news for the whales. And from the scientists that I talked to and the conservationists that I spoke with, they really want anything that can be done to be done soon. And they they feel like if action isn't taken soon to protect the whales, then the first extinction of a great whale species caused by man-made actions could happen under U.S. watch. And one of the scientists you spoke to said protecting rice's whales raises this philosophical question of values. How much do we value these animals that live in U.S. waters? After your reporting and your investigations, is that how you think this story is playing out? I think the scientist posed an important point that, you know, when I spoke with him, he mentioned, and other scientists mentioned as well, that we've really been operating on prioritizing certain things in the Gulf. Clearly, oil and gas has been a priority. 97% of the oil and gas that's produced offshore in the U.S. is produced in the Gulf of Mexico. We haven't limited sound, underwater sound at all. There are no rules in place to limit that. Meanwhile, we have this whale species that's critically endangered, less than 100 members left. And NOAA has been late on meeting basic deadlines for even declaring the whales as endangered. And they still haven't declared the area that they need to be protected. And that's that's just paperwork, as one of the conservationists told me. That's that's we're not even getting at action there. So I I think a lot of people who are involved with this see the situation as as pretty urgent. Well Kiara, thanks so much for being here and thank you for your investigation. Thank you for having me. 
Thanks for listening to Sea Change. This episode was hosted by me, Carlisle Calhoun. It was reported by Kiara Eisner. Editing help was provided by Meg Martin and Hallie Parker. Our sound designer is Maddie Zampanti. Sea Change is a WWNO and WRKF production. We're a part of the NPR Podcast Network and distributed by PRX. Sea Change is made possible with major support from the Gulf Research Program of the National Academy of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. WWNO's Coastal Desk is supported by the Walton Family Foundation, the Moreau Foundation, and the Greater New Orleans Foundation. See you all in two weeks.